to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject, Redigging the Wells of Promise. Redigging the Wells of Promise. Let's open our Bibles, if you haven't, your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26, verses 2 to 5. Genesis chapter 26, verses 2 to 5. Reading, redigging the Wells of Promise. I want to read a few verses and then we'll pray. If you got it, say, got it? If it's on the screen... Uh, you can have a look. All right, great. It says, And the Lord appeared to him, and the him here is Isaac, and said, Do not go down to e- Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and, and I will be with you, and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give you all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of of." Of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because, say, because, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Let's pray. Father, we just ask for Lord, your anointing God to be upon us as we open up the word. Pray, Father, that you will speak to us, Lord, especially uh, Lord, those of us, God, who are parents, dear Lord, that. Lord, you will just speak to us, God, that our obedience, Father, will lay the foundation, Lord, for the blessings of the next generation. We thank you, Father, for your word. Pray, God, that, Lord, you will feed us this morning in Jesus' name. Everyone say, Amen. Amen. Well, I, uh, I, I've got thoughts this morning. I'll try to give you a few points, but basically, I, I want to open up the text to you from Genesis chapter 26. There wouldn't be five, six points, or, or no, but I'll do my best to break open what I believe is the heart of God for our lives. I'm speaking to both the Abrahams here and the Isaacs here. There are people here who are Abrahams, and you're in your 50s, maybe in your 40s, you've got children, and God has made wonderful promises to you, to your offspring, and I pray that this word would encourage you. And there's some of us here who are Isaacs, and uh, we are building on the legacy of our parents, and I pray that this word would also encourage you to redig the wells of promise that God has made to your parents. So there are a few things here that I want to talk about. Uh, from this passage, we, we read that Isaac actually relied on God and did not look to, to the world for security. Isaac relied on God and did not look to the world for security. Now, just a quick background. Abraham at this point had passed on and Isaac is now the head of the family. And the land where Isaac was living in had entered into a devastating drought and his family, many depended on him, his wife, his servants, his flock, his herds. And a lot of people were depending on on Isaac and it seemed that the most sensible and practical thing for Isaac to do was to go back to Egypt, where there's ample supply of water or fertile lands. But yet, the Bible tells us that here God appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. 
but dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. So God, in, God hijacked Isaac's plan and said, Isaac, don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to where your, your, your fathers came from. But stay right here. And so Isaac actually obeyed God. Now, the question is, why, why did Isaac put the well-being of his family at risk by staying in a barren and fruitless land when they were his first responsibility? See, Isaac obeyed God. And I'll talk more about that in a while's time. But by directing him away from Egypt during the, the lean years, God was actually teaching Isaac to rely on him and not to look to the world for his security. So against popular opinion, Isaac chose to believe God and stay where he was in spite of the hardships. My friends, before I go into the sermon, I just want to say to you that when you choose to obey God, difficulties do not cease immediately. Some of us thought that obedience is the quick fix. That if I obey God now, bam, I'll come out from my circumstance, my situation, and we can declare all we want. And we did that during the time of worship. And that's powerful. That's a biblical principle. But can I put to you this morning that sometimes when we obey God, we may have to contend with adverse circumstances for a season. But God, trust me, will give you the victory over and over and over again. See, the test is one of obedience. And obedience may sometimes cost us. And sometimes we may have delayed answers. But friends, I want to promise you, and the Bible tells us that regardless, God will give us the victory time and time and time again. If you read this passage, it's very interesting that Isaac inherited the promises of God that God made to Abraham. If you read these few verses, it's the same promise. God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and made exactly the same promises to him. And now after he passed on, Isaac inherited these promises. But what's very interesting is that in verse 5, God actually gave uh, him the, the, the clue and, uh, and the key, if I could say, that Abraham had the key of Abraham that unlocked the promise of God. And the Bible says, because Abraham obeyed my voice. The reason why the blessings of God and the promises of, of God landed on Isaac because Abraham obeyed God. So what's my point this morning? My point is, parents, your obedience to the Lord, actually lay a foundation for your offspring to inherit the same promises God made to you. Are you with me? Parents, you have got, you, you, you have got a sacred responsibility. Now, I understand fully that parenting is never an easy task. I was just saying to my children this week that parenting is so tough. That I, that, that, that I fail at times, that I've lost my cool at times, but this is part of the process of us growing as parents. We have not parented before, right? Have we? All right, so it's, all, it's always the, the first time, just like teenagers have never been teenagers before, and we can't relive that. All right, so it's always our first time, but friends, the key is this. Regardless of the challenges, our obedience, our faithfulness towards God as parents would lay the foundation for the blessings of God and the promises of, of God for our offspring. The fact that we have been faithful towards God would qualify them for the promises of God that has made to us. Are you with me? Am I ma making sense? 
In fact, the lessons that we learn as parents would become building blocks for your children's lives. And we'll look at that in a moment's time. But let's read verses 16 to 18 in the Bible. So, so Isaac obeyed God, and the Bible says, And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerah and settled there. Verse 18, the key verse for our message this morning. And Isaac dug again, say again, Underline it, highlight it in your Bible. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham's father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. So, in, in this story, no sooner had Isaac made the decision to remain in the land that the presiding king, Abimelech, came to Isaac and requested that he remove himself from the area. So in order for Isaac to know the blessing of God's provision, God actually used King Abimelech to redirect him back to, to the old wells of Abraham. Very interesting. As I read this story, what seems to be a roadblock becomes a guidance. What seems to be an opposition is used by God to redirect Isaac back to where the wells of Abraham were. So sometimes as we, as we hit a roadblock, it could be the, it could be the Holy Spirit. This is, it's very interesting that, that, that Paul said that the Holy Spirit did not permit us. So not all barriers you know, are of the devil, not all opposition are from the enemies. That sometimes as we hit a road, roadblock or when we see a red light in the Spirit, it could be God saying to us, hey, slow down, stop because I've got a better plan for you. So, the Bible tells us that Abimelech actually was used by God to redirect Isaac to the old wells of Abraham. See, friends, I've learned this one great truth from the Bible. God in the Bible teaches us that all believers and all believers that wherever He leads, He will also provide. From unlikely sources, He will provide. This principle has been proven many, many times throughout the Old Testament history. And of course, we know the story of God providing for 3 million people in the wilderness and how uh, manna would fall from heaven and how quail would commit suicide to feed the children of Israel. 3 million. God's our provider. Even in the midst of a drought, even when there's a famine, even when you are going through hard times, even if you are in a financial crisis, even if the whole world comes crashing in, God is our provider. Where He leads us, He will provide. He may lead us to some strange place, but He will provide. So when Isaac arrived at the place where the wells had been dug, he found the Philistines had been in the area and they filled them with dirt. So although the outlook of his immediate security was extremely bleak, it's interesting that God would use these unfavorable circumstances to speak to Isaac. Friends, if you don't hear anything that I'm saying this morning, hear this, that it doesn't mean that when things are going wrong, that God's not in them. Come on. And God can speak to us through unfavorable circumstances. And the question as we read this passage is, in a land where the water, where water is always a premium, and now we know this this week, right? Water is becoming a premium. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
but we've got water in Singapore. But in the land, in the desert, where water is a premium, in the Middle East, you have to ask yourself, who would be crazy enough to fill wells with dirt when there was such a scarcity of water? Philistines filled those wells with dirt. I mean, Abraham opened up those wells. They could have enjoyed the wells, but the Philistines filled those wells with dirt. They must be crazy. What are they thinking about? Why would they do that when they could have, have enough for everyone? So I believe there's a lesson that we can learn from here. In, in this is a picture of a darker and a more subtle attack of the devil in the believer's life. See, this is what the devil wants to do in the life of the believer. Hear this. He wants to stop the flow of water until nothing is left. He wants to hijack God's plan for your lineage. He wants, to, he wants to stop the blessings of God to flow now from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Parents, God has made amazing promises to you, but the devil wants to short-circuit God's plan for the generations to come. And he will always throw dirt into the wells that you have dug so he can, he can stop the water from flowing. He covers the places where others once found their strength and sustenance in God. And this, is, this makes it almost impossible for those coming afterwards to know and, and understand how God has sustained them in difficult times. This is what the devil wants to, to do in the lives of families. He wants to choke the blessings of God. He wants to choke the promises of God. He wants to choke what God has done in our family's lineage. Come on. I want to expose what the devil is doing. I, I just want to put a spotlight to his scheme. The Bible says we should not be unaware of the devil's devices. Hello? All of us want to be parents. We have received amazing promises. Those of us who are younger, in, in, in our 20s, not married yet, I believe one day you will have your own offspring. And you will pass on the blessings and the legacy and the heritage and the promises of God to your kids. You will tell them and retell the stories of miracles and, and signs, wonders of what you have seen as a believer. But you know what? The devil has a plan. He wants to, he wants to bury. He wants to stop the flow of the Spirit in your family. I mean, look at the thousands of cathedrals. Some of you love Europe. Now, I love the history. But whenever I walk past cathedrals, my heart will always feel heavy because that was one, that these are places where God, was, God once moved. There was, there was once life. We can take photos. I was in Florence. I was, took some amazing photos. But that was the birthplace of the Renaissance. And, you know, it was once a place of worship. But look at all the cathedrals. We have to understand that church is never about a building or never about buildings. Buildings are facilities to facilitate what God's doing. But when the buildings become more important than the, than the work of the Spirit, that's when we have lost the plot and we have missed the mark. It's very sad, but a lot of churches actually go, go through splits because of church buildings. And there are committees deciding on the, 
the, the color of the carpet and, and churches split over the color of the carpet. Because the facilities become more, more important than, than what they were trying to facilitate. The move of God, the gospel going forth, souls getting saved. I want to talk about that in this message. The cause of all these splits, the cause of all the tension that, that, that we are seeing in the body of Christ across the world. We've got over a billion believers, but yet revival is still something that we're praying into. Why? I think it's time for us to redict the wells of promise. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Do you know why the, the devil doesn't like, you know, want to throw dirt into our wells? Listen, he, the devil hates water. Can I suggest to you that demons can't swim? I used to preach that, that message. Stole it from David Wilkerson a long time ago. But demons can't swim. There's a, there's a verse, I believe, in um, the Bible. Do I have it on the screen? Where it talks in John? No? Well, basically in John, the Bible tells us that uh, in, in Matthew chap- chapter 12, excuse me, that, uh, af- that after demons were cast out from, from, uh, from a person, uh, these, the demon went to look for a dry place, right? Do you remember the story? Do you remember the verse? Was going to look for a dry place, can't find a dry place, came back with seven more powerful demons to repossess uh, the house or the person that, that uh, he was dispossessed from. So what's the point? He was looking for a dry place to find rest in a dry place. See, the the devil or demons love dry places. In the NASB version, the word dry is translated waterless place. Waterless. There's no water of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that in the believer is a well and we should sing to our well so that out of our belly, the wells inside us will flow rivers of living water. But the devil wants to chop the wells. He wants to put dirt into our well so that the flow is no more. And this morning I'm saying to you, it's time for us to redig the wells of promise. So you, you know the story. I, I may preach that, that message maybe the next time I speak. But So Jesus was in the region of Gadarenes, right? And, and, and Legion came to see Jesus. You remember the guy who was in the tomb and he's been slashing himself and he was possessed by legions? There were at least 2,000 demons. And the, and the demon said, Master, what have, we, what have we got to do with you? And so, can, send us into to the pigs. And so, the demons thought that the pigs right, would, would uh, then drive the demons or would go into the wilderness. But the pigs are smarter than the demons. The pigs had a revelation that demons can't swim, so they jumped over the cliff and committed suicide, and they drowned themselves. The pigs knew that demons cannot swim, that demons hate water. If you want to stop demonic activities around your life, get wet, be filled, dive into the river of the Holy Spirit. If you are dry, then you are a target for demonic activities. That's why God brought Isaac back to the old wells and caused him to dig in the same places Abraham had dug. Amen. See, Isaac represents the next generation. 
And Isaac crucified the same source of strength his father had found. And I, I want to say this to us. If we want our lives to make a difference in our generation, see that there is always a tendency. I, 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 I say a tendency. There's always a tendency for us to distance ourselves from our parents because we want to find our own independence. We want to discover our own identity. We want to be our own man, right? Come on. I, had, I went through the, the same period, whether it's as a, as a natural son to my parents or even as a spiritual son to where I grew up from. There's always a tendency that we want to find ourselves but I've learned after trying to do that, that if we want our lives to make a difference, we have to go to the old wells of truth where others had previously found their hope in God. Come on, somebody. We have to go back to, what the, to the wells where our forefathers had dug the wells of salvation. The blood of Jesus is still powerful. There's no other way by a man which can be saved un unless he calls upon the name of Jesus. You can try to explain away the need for salvation. That just by being a good man, we can be saved. No such thing. The people of old paid a price. That works can't save us, but we're justified by faith, calling upon the name of Jesus, the wells of salvation. We are justified by faith. What about sanctification and holiness? John Wesley and, and the circuit riders and people who were, who were crisscrossing the UK and they sent missionaries to the Newfoundland, to America, and they brought with them the gospel and the message of sanctification, that you have got to be holy. It wasn't legalistic in those days. It was freedom because the church was regressing. They've lost their power and their influence. And Wesley discovered, he dug the wells of sanctification and he mobilized thousands of Methodists. They were still part of the Anglican church then. It wasn't a denomination. And everywhere they went, they dug the wells of sanctification. You've got to be holy. Because God's holy and now we are saying that that's legalism. Come on, that's nonsense. That's a well that they have dug. And the devil came and threw dirt on the wells with man-made traditions and, and man-made rules and regulations. But sanctification was freeing. Some people call it the second blessing after, the, after salvation. We have to redig the wells of holiness. Come on. The wells of the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, where we've got to tremble at the voice of God when He speaks to us you know, as, a, as, as, as God Most High. You know, he speaks to us at times as Father, but when you know when He gives a, an instruction, He comes to us as Commander. He comes to us as the Lord Most High. And that should put the fear of the Lord, not, not unhealthy fear, but a reverential fear. We revere Him because He's God Most High. We have to read the well of the fear of the Lord so that Christians don't live careless lives. Hello? Am I preaching to the right crowd? We have to read, friends, the wells of faith and healing and the priesthood of all believers that pastors are not some special people, but we are all priests unto the Lord. That all of us are ministers and people pay the price for that. We have to read, read the wells of sacrifice. Amen. There's not 
plain sailing. It's not que sera, sera. That's not the gospel that we know. Martyrs gave their lives. People sacrificed to build the kingdom. The wells of sacrifice lost because the devil tries to heap dirt on the wells of sacrifice. I want to take a a rabbit trail, if you allow me to. And just look, let's look at Abraham. I believe he learned at least two lessons in his life. There are a lot more, but at least two. And these are the lessons, as I said, that Abraham learned that became building blocks for Isaacs. That as we read the Bible, we'll always look back, and Isaac especially, I'll talk about him, will look back and say, I'm so glad my father learned these lessons. At least two main tests that Abraham had to pass. The first test, Genesis chapter 21 verse 10, he had to let Ishmael go. Abraham had to let Ishmael go. Genesis chapter 21 verse 10 says, After Isaac was born, Sarah said to Abraham, Cast out this born woman and her son, for the son Ishmael of this born woman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. See, in essence, what Sarah was saying to Abraham, she was exhorting Abraham to put away the works and the reasoning of human endeavor. You know the story? Ishmael was the fruit of human reasoning. They were trying to help God. They think that they know better. They had, they, they, they had reasons for doing what they did. That's why Ishmael was born because they were too old. Sarah passed childbearing age. God needs help. We are God, He's not. So He needs help. But when Abraham did what was right, and now as we look back, we can either respond with human sympathy or take this as a lesson learned. When Abraham revealed true, he revealed true character by having the courage to do what is right. See, reason should serve revelation. Reason is a servant. The mind is a servant. But the mind can become the master when, when we outthink God. Come on. When we try to reason, explain moves of God, explain the Holy Spirit, explain speaking in tongues, explain how God, you know, yeah, some people are trying to explain healing, which is great, but reason serving revelation, not the other way around. Some of us, sometimes we explain away what God has done. There were books out there that said why God can't raise the dead. Do you know that pieces from some denomination saying that that's beyond what God can do? What? But the fact of the matter is this guy was the one's dead. But now here he is. We cannot allow human reasoning to hinder God's plan. We have to lay aside human reasoning. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham lay aside. Abraham, in fact, I use the very nice words. Abraham cast out. It's the same word as casting out demons. Abraham cast out human reasoning. Hello. He had to let Ishmael go. Amen. 
And I believe Isaac learned lessons from that. And guess that's one, one of the reasons why Isaac sowed in a time of famine. That's strange. It doesn't make sense. Why do you sow when there's a drought? But, it, but Isaac sowed in a time of famine and he reaped a hundredfold. doesn't make logical sense. It doesn't make sense. When, it comes, when, when you come to a place where you say, it doesn't make sense, I tell you, friends, that's a good place to be in. You are in good company. When, when in a project, you start saying, oh, I've got all the numbers, I've got all these revelations, but it doesn't make sense. Hallelujah! The second lesson that, I, that Abraham must pass, and you know this, he has to sacrifice Isaac. He has to sacrifice Isaac. Let's read this scary verse in the Bible. It's the scariest verse. It says, Then God said, Take your son. And if, and, and if that's not, not enough, by then he's the only son because he has let Ishmael go, right? Your only son whom you love. See, God knows how to wrap it in. Take your son. Okay, he's your only son, huh? Mr. Abraham. And just in case you forget, you love him. <laughs> you love him. And then he named him Isaac. Don't get it wrong. It's, it is not Akaw or Atu. It's Isaac. And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. That's a scary verse. But you know one thing I love about Abraham? It's the same when he let Ishmael go. It's the same here again. You can go back and read in your Bible, but the next verse, can I see the next verse? Early the next morning. Obedience. Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. See, friends? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But Abraham had such a history with God that, that Abraham knew that even if he really thrust the knife in, God would raise Isaac from the dead. See, Isaac represented the very essence of everything God had promised Abraham. But, he, but God wants to know, friends, that, that he is more important than the promises he has given to us. And if you're a father, you understand this. Right? I'll make promises to my kids. I'll take you to Australia. I'll take you. I'll buy you this. And, I'll, and they remember the promises. I tell you, parents, they would come to me reminding like what we do right, as Christians, right? Don't we? Father, you said this. We ask of you because you said, you said. It's great. He loves it because all fathers, especially if you have if you've got nothing uh, that you don't own, I mean, you love it when your son or, or your kids come to you reminding you, come on, you said this. Mommy knows. Mommy, you said this. You said if I get this grade, you will buy me this. You said if I do this, then I can have this. I mean, you said, you said. And, and every parent loves it, especially if you fulfill your part of the deal. 
But if that's all you do, if that's all you do, and then I think as a parent, as a father, it's a little bit disappointing, doesn't it? It's a little bit disappointing because if every time your children come to you and all they talk to you is that you promise this, that you promise that, that you promise this. So God wants to know that He is more important than the promises He has made to us. Any parent would know that. It's interesting. I'll just tell you a story. I mean, I've, I, I think I've got some time. But one of my favorite stories from John Bavia. In one, in one of his first few books, a long time ago, I, I was a teenager, and he told a story uh, of him playing golf, if you remember. Now, John Bavia loves golf, and he would wake up 4.30 in the morning to play golf. He would golf. And he wrote in the book that it's hard for him to wake up 4.30 to pray, to seek the face of God, but 4.30 to play golf, no problem. All right? And so he knew that it was an, an idol. And so when he bought a $500 golf set in those days, when he wasn't as successful as he is today, that there was a lot of money. And God says, I want you to give this golf set to your friend. And so after a few days of rebuking the voice of the devil, he realized it's really God. And so he actually gave the $500 golf set to his friend. And he, and he allowed God to deal with this idol in his life. And a year later, he wrote, an amazing thing happened. A man came up to my wife and said, open up your trunk. I have something for your husband. So he proceeded to throw in a set of clubs and a bag. Then John moved back to Florida. And within weeks, another man said, open your trunk. I have something for you. And he had been uh, the professional golf circuit and gave me the finest set of golf clubs, worth about $2,000. He looked at me and said, God told me to give them to you. Golf is out of place in my life. At first, he thought, this is a trap of the devil to bring me back into bondage. However, God said, accept him, accept them, they are from me. And this is what he wrote. Those clubs sat in my garage for over a year and a half, and I've only used them once. God had placed it in place in my life. What's the point? God is not a killjoy, but he wants to know that he's number one in our lives. So Abraham took Isaac to a mountain where he was prepared to offer him to God. And you know the story so well. In that place, God revealed himself as Jehovah Jireh. Whenever we pay the price of obedience, God show us a new facet of himself. Right? He opened our eyes to see him in a brand new light. And he is Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. So let's come back to the story of Isaac. These were lessons that Abraham lived through, that Isaac was a recipient of. As I, as I said, your victories and your triumphs, your breakthroughs, your, the lessons you learn in your history with God became, will become building blocks for the next generation. So coming back to the wells, God provided for Isaac in the midst of of the enemies. Let's read Genesis chapter 20, 26 and verse 20. I'll come to a close very, very soon. It says here, And Isaac's servants dig in the valley and found there a well of springing water. The word springing is the word living water. And now Isaac could provide for the herds, for the sheep, for the household. But again, the next thing happened when the Philistines again realized that they have dug wells and there's water. They came 
And they said, the water is ours. The water is ours. So picture this. Isaac, his servants, they dug. There was water. They thought, finally God. The herdsmen came, not from that tribe, and said, that's ours. And Isaac named that well Isaac. And Isaac means strife or contention. See, in the life of the believer, the devil does not want you to find living water. So he immediately attempts to stop its flow by bringing you into contention with someone. It's very interesting. In the life of a church, whenever there is the life of the Holy Spirit, you will have fights breaking out. In the house, whenever you think that, wow, God, you've made some amazing, you've done some amazing things for our family, instantly there's contention, strife. Why? We must not be unaware of the devil's devices. He wants to choke the wells, and the way he does it, contention, strife. It's the best way. You are praying yourself up, Shakarabahanda, you pray, and then you leave your prayer room and you walk out, and then there, you know, your, your wife said the wrong word. Bam! What do you mean? Strike contention. Instantly, the, the, the well that, you were bubble, that was bubbling up, boom, goes down. Right? You thought it's great. Wow, God has provided for the family. He's Jehovah Jireh. And then your, 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 your kids come home and, and become rude. I mean, Instantly, wow, God, you know, contention chokes the work of the Spirit. And you see, James, the Lord's half-brother, understood this. In James 3.16, not John 3.16, but James 3.16, it says, For where envying and strife is there, uh, is there is confusion and every evil work. Get this. Children, get this. The heart of all parents is there is peace and harmony in the home. Amen, parents? Right? I want to expose the enemy here. Whenever there is strife, when there's envy, how come uh, my sister have this, I don't have, huh? How come? See, I've never compared with my brother. I'm excited when you know, he's prospering. You know, some people thought, wow, there's competition between you and your brother. I said, what are you talking about? He's got more likes on Facebook. I don't have likes on Facebook. I mean, nonsense. But that's how the world thinks. But wherever there is strife and contention, we'll choke the promises of God in our lives, the joy of marriage and parenting, the flow of the Holy Spirit in the church. And the transforming power of God in society. Whenever there is contention, whenever there is strife, it chokes up the wells of living water. And James says, whenever there is strife, there is every evil work. That's a strong word, isn't it? That's a very strong word. Every evil work. I know, I thought it's just like some every bad work, you know, not so nice work. Evil! <laughs> Whenever you fight between over small matters between parents and, and uh, children, between husband and wife, over small, and we know that. Some of us grew up in a, in a strifeful environment. We know that it has every evil work. Friends, divorce begins when there is strife. 
maybe years before there's strife. You know, before, you know, before it actually happened when there was strife. Wrong decisions, bad investments all happen when there's the seed of strife. Every evil work. So I'm thankful that Isaac understood this and so he moved on and uh, he, he didn't fight. He just said, okay, if you want it, you have it. He learned from Abraham, right? Lord, you choose. Remember the story? As, as I said, the lessons that, that the fathers learned become lessons for the children, right? So Abraham says, Lord, if you want this uh, piece of land, I'll go here. He doesn't fight. So here, Isaac learned the lesson. He says, okay, if you want this well that I've dug, sure free one, take it. And so he left and he dug again another well. And here it says that in verse 21, they dig another well and, and, and strove for that and he called the name of that well Sitna. Again, they're striving and this is a stronger word. Sitna actually means hatred. It actually means hostility. And can I say this? If you don't nip contention and strife in the bud, it, 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 it becomes hatred, hostility. Nip it at the bud. Say sorry, apologize, humble yourself, make right. If you don't do that, it, in the early stages, it, it can easily turn into hatred. And those are the very two things that the devil will need to stop the supply of life, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in, uh, in the family, whether it's in the church, whether it's in your household, whether it's in your business. See, friends, the devil has got no new tricks up his sleeve. It's always contention, strife that leads to hatred and hostility. And that will choke the promises of God in your life. And I'm saying to you this morning, it's time to read the wells. Oh, that we've talked about, but we have to watch for the schemes and choke them. And so, of course, Isaac says, you know what, I'll move on. You want, if you want envy and strife, you can have it. Hello? If you want Hatred and hostility, you can have it. I know, as a man of God, that God has got something better for me. And so he walked on and he dug another well. And the Bible says this time, he named it Rehoboth, which means God has made room for me. There's no more strife, no more contention, no more hatred. I found my Rehoboth. Friends, I believe that's what God wants to do in our lives. Bless those who hate you. Amen. Those who are always contentious, Talk to them. Buy them a meal. Even when they are hating you, send them a flower, drop them a text, send them a blessing. Because if you can do that, you will find your, your, your Rehoboth. Can you bend on stage, please? Let's read verse 22 as I come to a landing. And they moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. And he called it, Call its name Rehoboth, which means room and spaciousness, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. I want to read what I write. It's so good. His covenant with his son has opened the way for everyone who believes on Christ to have a place in, the, in this kingdom. Listen, there is room for all people at the cross, no matter what age, race, or nationality. When, when, when we become His children, He enlarges our hearts to love all of His people, even those who wounded us. 
My friends, He will make enough room in our hearts to overlook the willful and hurtful transgressions of others. If this morning you're always struggling, you are striving with hatred, gossip, contention, envy, jealousy, it simply shows that you have a small heart. But when we understand the love of God, when we understand what Jesus did for us on the cross, when He spread His arms out and received both His fans and His critics, both His, both his friends and His enemies, He's showing us there is room at the cross for everyone. He looked at the thief on his left and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. He looked at his mother and said, John, that's your mom. Mom, that's your son. He looked at all those who crucified him and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. There's enough room in the heart of Jesus for everyone. And those of us who are like Him, His children, he will, he will enlarge our hearts to love. Come on. Amen. Must we have enemies? No, we can't stop people from hating us. And that's their choice. But I sure hate no one. Do you want the world to marvel? Start speaking well of the very people who have turned their back on you and at this point, may even intensely dislike you. And just like the name of the last well, Isaac opened and named Rehoboth. When you do that, the Lord will make room for you and you shall be fruitful in the land regarded as barren and useless. Let's all stand. Father and Son, Abraham, Isaac, if there's, an, if there's a headstone at Abraham's grave, I believe his, you know, what's written on there, the epitaph would be Abraham, the father of many nations, inheritor of the promises of God. If you read Romans chapter 4, it reads that. By faith, he inherited the promises of God. I believe if there's a headstone in Isaac's grave, his epitaph would be Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, the inheritor of the promises of God made by him to my fathers. See, friends, I believe the kingdom of God should grow from strength to strength. Likewise, in the, in the life of the family, the depth of the work of the Holy Spirit in your family's life, in any church, must go from strength to strength. It goes deeper, becomes stronger. Amen? Is a well choked this morning? Is there strife? Jealousy? Envy? Contention? Do you hate your brother? Do you hate the do you hate the church? Some, some, some of you. Do you hate your spouse? And you wonder, why is the devil attacking me? Because you are dry. He has successfully choked the well in your life. 
Why are all the bad things coming at me? It seems like I'm under attack every day. Because there's no water. But this morning, I believe if you will just allow God to unchoke those wells and just put aside contention, envy, hatred, and let the water flow again. Come on, there will be room in your well for God to flow and for the waters of life to gush out. Come on, somebody.